Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you here, whether you're here for the first time or a long time. So glad you joined us uh, this weekend. Maybe you're online catching up with us. Uh, you're joining us over there in the sanctuary. We're just glad that you're here. And, uh, and just in case we've not met and uh, we don't have the chance to do so in the crossing, uh, my name is Rick, and I'm a sinner saved by grace. A couple of you got that, a few, most of you didn't. So we're going to do that again. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to coach you a little bit here, okay? Uh, I'm going to say what I just said again, and you're going to say, hi, Rick. And you're going to say it, though, with a friendliness and an energy, kind of an uplifting sort of way. So I feel comfortable in being vulnerable and transparent in a confessional sort of way, okay? So I'm going to do this again. Hello, everybody. I'm glad you're here. My name is Rick. I am a sinner saved by grace. Ah. You are coachable. Uh, you can learn. I don't know if there's anybody else in the house besides me and me online. Uh, I don't want to wait till I die to experience the kingdom of God life. I don't want to wait till I die till I experience the fullness of God's joy, God's peace, and really experience love. I don't want to wait till the, till the hereafter. I want to hear it now. I don't know if there's anybody besides me that, you know, I really get a little bit weary of myself having the same issue over and over and over again. Having the same problem over and over and over again. Anybody have any marriages where you have the same argument about the same subject matter, the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? The same issue with your parenting, the same issue with your singleness, and you just go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just tired. I would like to grow a little bit in that area. I'd like to make a little progress. I would like to experience a little joy in that place, a little love, maybe a little peace in that particular part of my life. Now, if that's going to happen, we need something. If I need, I need it, you need it, we need a way of life that keeps us constantly aware of God's presence and connected to God's power. So I can do what I can't do on my own that only God's power can do. And that means I need something in my life that's not mechanical, that's not superficial, that's not legalistic. And can I just say this with love in my heart? There are so many Christians that get very mechanical in their Christian life. It's your, it's your mechanics. You come to church on Sunday or you watch online on Sunday. You watch it. And then you live your life the rest of the week and you come back and do it again. I just got to come back, get a little information, thinking if I get a little information, I'll experience transformation. Can I just tell you the truth? Information alone is not going to bring about transformation in your life. It is not sufficient at all. I need something more. Maybe you do too. When you read the Bible and you kind of understand the early part of the church, this history, this thing called the church, they, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. You find this in Acts 9 and Acts chapter 22. Followers of the way. Uh, they, they were not called believers in right doctrine. Hey, I just want to have the right information. Now, right doctrine is important. And they were called believers in the Bible. But that word believer is a tricky word. Because in the Greek, it always also means trust. So these people who were said they're followers of the way said, I trust 
to follow in the way, to live in the way like Jesus lived. And you find what they did in Acts chapter 2. We'll make reference to that as we go throughout this series. So here's what we're going to do over the next eight weeks. We are going to be looking at some of the steps, some of the practices that come straight from the New Testament uh, of the life of Jesus and from those early followers that gave them power to live a life totally different than what many of us and most of us here live. And what we're going to do is going to be informed by the 12 steps of AA. The 12 steps of AA, really, they took their 12 steps from the church. It started off as a Christian movement. So we're going to reclaim them. I think it's time for us to reclaim them. So we're calling this message series Growing Together. In other words, making some progress and stop repeating some of the same stuff in our life over and over and over again. And so to do that, we've got to rearrange our lives around these, these, these practices and steps we're going to talk about. Now, I'm going to make some ask of you before we get, get into this. Here's my first ask. I'm going to ask you make a commitment to participate in all eight of the messages in this series. Even if you can't be here in, in person, you're not in the sanctuary, you can't be here on site, uh, you can join online, you can go catch up during the week. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment because these are eight steps and they all kind of build on top of each other. And I'm going to make you a promise. I will do everything in my power to make each of these lessons practical, applicable, not pie, pie in the sky, just theological ideas, but real stuff that you can do, you can do them during the week. And I'm going to ask you to practice, not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all of, of, of these steps that we're going to do. And speaking of steps, we've revamped our life steps. Uh, if you go worship here, you know we do something called life steps, which means that we give you scripture and questions to kind of reflect upon every single day. Well, we're changing it. And in fact, you need to have the, you need to have the app really to get, get in touch with our app life steps. If you don't have the app, uh, here's a kind of the image of what it looks like, the Pathway app. And over there in the right-hand column, the fourth one down, one, two, three, third one down, that's where it says life steps on that front page. You can also get them off the website. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a short reflection for every single day in the morning, very short, and then a reflection in the evening. And I'm going to make you a promise. The impact of this message series, what we're about to embark on for the next eight weeks, if it makes any difference in your life, it's going to be what you do between messages. It doesn't make any difference what I do. What you do is going to determine. So I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do your life steps every single day. It's simple. You can do them. They're not over the head. And you're going to be amazed what God will do. So I'm going to ask you to do that. Also going to ask you to consider, if you're not yet in a small group, this is a great time to get in a small group. You can do it out in the foyer and then the crossing this weekend, because in our small group, I'm going to do an additional short little lesson connected to what we do on the weekend, about eight to 10 minutes that you'll view, and then you're going to talk about it there in that group together. And I'm going to ask you to come to worship and to the small group if you're in one with a raw honesty. I'm going to ask you kind of symbolically, figuratively, to take off the mask, figuratively, take off the mask, and stop pretending. No more playing church during this series. I'm just asking for eight weeks to tell the truth that you are spiritually inadequate. I'm spiritually inadequate. 
But we like to pretend, right, that we all got our act together. Can we all be honest? None of us fully have our act together. We're all liars, cheats, gossips, rumor mongers, participating in conversations that we shouldn't be in on social media and in real life persons. We've all blown it in our marriage in some way. We've all blown it as parents. We've all lost our temper. We've all lost our cool in the wrong ways. We've all misspent our money probably in different ways. We've not taken care of ourselves in the right way. All of us are spiritually inadequate for eight weeks. Could we please just stop pretending and come with the raw honesty before God? And also in your small groups, that you really talk about stuff that really matters and not just go through the motions. And I'm going to ask you to think about having a friend, somebody you call, somebody that you trust. And you tell them what you're working on. You tell them the progress you're trying to make. Someone to help hold you accountable and to help encourage you and pray for you. Just have one person in your life. Maybe it's in your small group, maybe it's not. To help you walk through what we're about to do for the next eight weeks. And also next weekend, we're going to have little wristbands like this. And I'm going to ask you to take one and put it on. And we're just going to say grow together on it. It's like a little spiritual Fitbit. And every time you sin, it's going to shock you. I mean, it's just going to send a jolt right through you. I mean, just, you're just going to kind of, you know, like a stun gun sort of thing, you know, T- taser or something like that. And, uh, and also, it's going to have a little, it's going to have a little chip in it so it can follow you everywhere you go. And so when you come back to worship on the weekend, if you go into bad places, we're going to put them up here on the screen so everybody can see. We've got to have a digital floor. It's going to be like an accountability thing. Now, not really, but we are going to give you one of these, okay? And I want you, I want you to wear it because it's going to say grow together. It's going to remind you to practice, practice what we're going to be learning this week. Now, here's the final thing before we dive in. Here's the goal. The goal is not to finish this eight-week series and for you to go, man, that was really a neat series. Do you know how many series we've had here that I've got to participate in in 30, almost 34 years Lots of them. And you know how many times I've heard, man, that was really a good series. And do you think I care that you say it's a good series? I really don't. You know what I care about? Here's the goal. That you will rearrange your life around these things we're going to learn. Rearrange your life till you experience life change. So you experience growth and not just doing the same thing every week, every week, every month in your life. That's the goal. That you practice these steps in your life for the rest of your life. These are forever practices you're going to learn here over the next eight weeks. These are forever. That you orient your life around it. Now the very first step is the foundation for everything. If you don't get this one, everything else is going to be rope, mechanical, legalistic, mumble-jumble, self-help stuff. I'm tired of self-help stuff. I want something deeper, and I want something more. It's critical you get the first step. God, before we open up your word, start taking notes, start learning and growing, uh, we turn to you. You are the author. Uh, You are the creator. You are the sustainer of everything that is good in our life. And you are our only hope. So teach us. Make yourself known to us, God. And if you could, please begin the healing process. Because some of us, we're needing some healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, step number one. Step, we're going to be eight of them. Here's step one. I will fully surrender my will 
And I will say, also my life, I will fully surrender my will and my life to God. In other words, give up. I'm going to give up my will. I'm just going to give up. And it goes like this. It's from the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Four little words. Your will be done. Say those four words with me. Your will be done. That's a prayer. I want you to memorize that prayer. That's your memory verse for the week. Your will be done. When do I pray that? You can pray it anytime, anywhere, any situation. Four little words. Your will be done. Especially when you find yourself in situations where you're out of control. A situation, you can't control the situation. You want to control it, but you can't control it. When you're in traffic and you get all frustrated and you can't control it, your will be done. Oh, when your kids are out of control and you can't control them, your will be done. When you're mad at your spouse because you can't, your will be done, God. When you're mad because you don't have a spouse and you want a spouse, but you can't control that, your will be done, God. When life is out of control and there seems nothing that you can do about it, when the computer crashes, when all you can be is on Zoom and you're sick and tired of Zoom and you're sick and tired of wearing this mask in places, your will be done. When you hope she'd say yes and she said no, your will be done. When you hope she'd say yes and she said yes, you wish she'd said no, Your will be done. When the money's not coming in, when the worry is off the chain, when you're dying, pray this prayer. Your will be done, Lord. There's power in that prayer. That's why it's the very foundational step. It's the most powerful prayer you can say. Those four little words unlock a door like into the universe. And when you unlock that door, there's a pathway on the other side of that door with a little sign that says, this is the pathway to a life of power, a life of transforming faith. And it works. And I will tell you, church, it does work. I need this prayer. I need it in my life all the time because I finally got to the place in my life where I've reduced all my problems down to two. I'm matured enough. I've, got, I've aged enough in life. I'm 65 where I can tell you I only have two problems. Some of you have a lot of problems. I just got two. And here are my two. Number one is I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. Anybody besides me? I say, don't eat that, and I eat that. I say, don't say that, and I say that. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't look at that site. Don't procrastinate. Don't brag. Don't blow up. Don't yell at the kids. Don't say, you're acting just like your mother. Am I the only one? 
The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 7. Some of you have heard this verse many times. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, verse 18. But I cannot carry it out. That's the human condition. We know what is right. But we're prepared to do what is wrong if it gets us what we want. This is true for believers and unbelievers. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God. And when you come to this awareness that things aren't going right and you're not measuring this, you go, you know, I got to try harder. If you're a believer, you go, I got to try harder to follow Jesus. I got to try harder to be like God. Or if you're not a believer, even you say, I got to try harder to be a better husband. I got to try harder to be a better wife. I got to try harder to be a better parent. No, you don't. In your notes, number one, number one, not step one, number one. I will never overcome my habits and hang-ups, my habits, hurts, and hang-ups by trying harder. You just won't. Ask anyone who's an alcoholic. In fact, I'll say ask anybody who's in recovery. And right now, if anyone can hear my voice or you're watching this online in the middle of the week at 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning or the middle of the afternoon while you're driving home, if you can hear my voice right now, please understand this point. We're all in recovery. You see, some people are smart enough to realize it and to admit it. We all have habits. We all have hang-ups. We all have baggage. We all have hurts that we just can't get over on our own. And they keep popping themselves up and tripping us up and causing problem after problem after problem. And the alcoholic or the recovery persons know your only hope is to realize that trying harder ain't going to get her done. It hadn't yet for you, has it? Trying harder is not the answer. It's your will. Your will be done, O Lord. Now, I will tell you, this is true even if you don't believe in God. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, thank you for coming. So glad you're here. But this principle is important for you even if you don't believe in God. Say, so here's the reality of this world in which we live. There is me getting my way, my will, and then there is doing what is good. That is what is right, what is admirable, what is courageous, what is kind, what is loving. Whether you believe in God or not, that reality exists. It just does. Have any of you ever found yourself in a situation in your life yet? If you haven't, you will. Will you realize that getting your way, getting your will is not the same as what is good and what is right? You ever had that happen? See, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, what you need to know that even if you don't want good in your life, good exists. 
And even though you don't, you don't believe in a spiritual reality, there is a spiritual reality. And whenever you deny that, surrendering your will to that, even just surrendering your will to that, you're beating your head against the moral universe. You're just beating your head against something. Just boom, 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 boom. Because goodness and spiritual reality is like a mighty river. It's just flowing all the time, flowing, flowing, flowing. Uh, my dad was raised around Granbury in Hood County. He grew up with some, around some Indians, some of the remaining Indians in Hood County. And he, he grew up teaching me this lesson that he learned from the Indians. And this was it. Don't push the river, Rick. Whatever you do, don't push the river. See, he, he, here's what I'm learning in life. That any time when I stop pushing the river, when I surrender what I want, what I will, and when I do in the moment what is good, what is noble, what is kind, what is courageous, what is honorable, whatever it would be, I find myself in a current, in a river that's just kind of flowing, that has more power in it than I can ever imagine. That's just a way of life. Now, no one understood this more than Jesus. No one modeled this better than Jesus. Whether you believe in him or not, as the Savior and the Son of God and the resurrected Jesus, he lived and he taught. And here's what he taught in this way over here in Matthew chapter 16. He said, this is what this looks like right here. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses, like loses their will, for me, will find it. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding of people what it means to uh, give up your will, to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. Let me put it very simple. The goal of my life, if I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, the goal of my life is no longer for me to get exactly what I want for it to be done my way. I surrender my will to do what is good, what is right, what is noble, what is the right thing to do. I surrender to that, not what I want, not what I think is right. Now, this whole thing that we're talking about here is premised on the 12 steps. I told you that they came out of the Oxford group, a Christian group, discipleship group, and they've put these 12 steps together. Here's the first three. And the first three really kind of, kind of are participating in the first one here of, of surrender my will. Here's the first one. Step one, we admit we are powerless over. You admit whatever it is. You keep repeating in your life over and over again. I admit we are powerless over blank and that our lives have become unmanageable. Step two, we have come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Step three, I have made a decision to turn over my will, surrender my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, as we understand him. Now, these have been summarized in three little short statements to help us all remember these in a more powerful way, in a simpler way, and we're going to put these on the screen. I can't. God can, I think I'll let him. Say those with me. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. 
three powerful little statements. I can't do what? I can't take care of my guilt. I can't take care of my shame. I can't fix me. I can't fix you. I can't help it that I'm an alcoholic. I can't help it that I'm a rageaholic. I can't help it that I'm an imageaholic. I can't be the husband I want to be. I can't be the, the dad I need to be, the pastor I need to be. I can't reach that standard. I just can't do it. I don't have the power to get there. I just keep messing up and falling short. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. I surrender. I give up my will, my way my life to you, O Lord. Now, many of us are hesitant to do this because we think that we're going to be a little mindless little robot just kind of doing what everybody else wants us to do. Cut the contraire. Number two, my will is a gift from God. Your will is a good thing. It's a very good thing. In fact, God gave it to you. It's good. Some of you might remember back in the 1970s, there was the beginning of a three series of movies called Stepford, the Stepford Wives. And in this first movie, the Stepford Wives, there was this group of women who were married to these men who had these techie jobs in Stepford. And these women were just ecstatic about baking, cleaning house, and doing laundry they loved to gather at each other's houses and, and share recipes and ooh and all ah, how clean their floors were. And they never complained. They never whined. They just wanted to make sure their, happy, their husbands did not suffer at all, and they were the happiest people on the planet. And women thought it was a horror show. <laughs> it was a satire. Then they had the Stepford Kids. These little kids that were homework-loving, room-cleaning, preppy-dressing, little overachievers, wanting to have the highest GPA they could, polite, courteous, doing everything their parents wanted, trying to have an internship for college by the time they were in the third grade. And all the parents said, amen, I like the sound of that, right? Then they had the Stepford Husbands. This was the last one of these movies. And, and the Stepford husbands, these were guys, they, they, they loved doing laundry. They loved cooking. They loved cleaning. They loved just doing chores around the house. They just wanted to do it all day long and all night long if that would make their, their wife happy because their only, only purpose in life was to make sure their wife was as happy as possible. And all the women thought it was an inspiring romantic comedy. <laughs> comedy. Amen, ladies? Amen. Amen. So watch the less life lesson from all three of these movies. In any personal relationship to you that really matters, any life relationship for you that really matters, if one person or two persons are going to give up their will, going to give up their freedom, their personality of who they are and their way for the purpose of making somebody else feel like things are perfect, because it all revolves around them, that's hell. That's a horror movie. 
The lesson is this, that your life, your life, your life with real pain, with real people is better than a life with no pain and no people. That's the lesson. And God did not create this world to be filled with people who had no personhood, no uniqueness, no will. God did not create you to be a robot. God created you with a will, and it's his gift to you to use it. But here's what God knows. The key to your life is having a surrendered will that you do willingly and joyfully, not forced. Because an unsurrendered will is our problem. The AA book, the big book, puts it like this. Can you put this on the screen, please? Here's the situation. Each person is like an actor trying to run the whole show. You're trying to run the lives of everybody around you. They are forever trying to arrange the lives of the rest of the players in the show that is in your family. If the arrangements, if the kids, if my spouse would only stay put, if people would only do what they're told, the marriage, the family... The workplace would be great. Right? If I just had a Stepford wife, Stepford children, a Stepford job, a Stepford church, a Stepford dog, a Stepford cat, that doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't even know why a cat was a mistake even coming out of my mouth. You know, cats, they have, boy, they have free will. I would just be the happiest guy in the world. There's only a problem. When my will is that it collides with everybody else who has their own will and it's nothing but because God gave him a will too. And it's their gift to surrender it or to. Now, church, there's power. There's power when you surrender your will. In the big book, there's a story of this alcoholic. He's raging alcoholic, uh, this businessman. He was so consumed with alcohol. He got arrested so many times, just arrested and arrested and arrested. And he could cover it up. He had so much money. But he realized he was either going to go insane or he was going to die. So he quits his job and gets on a boat. It was 100 years ago and goes over to Europe to go find Carl Jung, the most famous psychiatrist the world had ever known. Jung gets him sober. He goes to the boat to go home to America. And before he gets to the boat, he's drunk again. He comes back to Jung and says, what's my problem? I thought you had me sober. He said, you know, I have found out that you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And anybody who has that kind of mind, um, there's really nothing I can do. He felt like the gates of hell had closed on him. He said, I'm going to die. There's no hope for me. He said, is there any exception? He said, there's one exception. Only one. Some who are like you have found hope, if there is any hope, by having what I call a vital spiritual experience. 
So he goes to Oxford in England. He finds a little discipleship group of Christians who are practicing these steps. And he gets sober. Practicing the teachings of Jesus. There's power available for anyone addicted to any habit, to any issue, to overcome it. God gave this greedy little tax collector, Zacchaeus, the power to become the poster child for generosity. He was so selfish. Then you had this guy named Simon, who was a terrible leader. He gave him power. He becomes Peter, one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known. Then there was Saul. He hated people. Until he received the power of God in his life, he became Saul, a lover of people. Some people believe that once you become, you surrender your will, that it's the weakest thing you could do in your life. But the next things I would note, I would say, no, surrender is the pathway to power. And any recovery person knows that. There's power in surrender. I learned this yesterday afternoon. I got reminded of it. I go to Sprouts like I do almost every Saturday. And except I didn't go in with a good attitude and a good spirit. I didn't have time to get everything done. I wasn't even ready for the message last, 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 for last Saturday night. My, business, my week has been so full. I said, I want to get in and get out. I got to control, I got to get in and get out. I don't want to listen to any stories of any Sprouts people. I don't want to be nice to any of them. I just want to get my stuff, and I want to go. I got stuff to do, and I'm all kind of bent up. And so I walk in, and when you know it, there's a long line to Delhi, the first place that I go. So I'm having to wait. And then when I get up there, the person behind the counter gets my order wrong. I have to wait longer. And I'm going, oh, and then I thought, Rick, what are you doing? Practice, practice. So I stopped, and I said a little prayer your will be done, God. And all of a sudden, just everything just fell off of me, and I received this power to relax and to chill, and just, it was, it was changing of that moment, just those four little words, your will be done. Last Saturday, last Monday, excuse me, last Monday, my phone ringing off the wall when I'm working on all this message stuff and reading and writing, and there's numbers popping up that I don't even recognize, and all these interruptions. I go, I'm getting interrupted. How am I going to get this done? I got a job to do. But there was one number popped up, and I felt the Spirit say, uh, you need to answer that. And I said, I don't want to answer that. Yeah, you need to answer that. So I answered it. I didn't recognize the number. He said, Pastor, 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 so glad that you called. I said, well, okay, well, what's, what's up, man? And, and so, so thank you for taking my call. I said, what's up? And he, and he said, uh, I think I'm an alcoholic. I'm working on this message. I'm wrestling with it. And he calls me to say, hey, I need some help. What was he saying? I can't. God can. Will you help me let him? And there's power when you surrender to that sort of place. See, most of us, we think it's just the opposite. We think the power is in the enforcement of our will. And we're scared of surrendering. Because the ego will kick in. I promise you this, when you begin to surrender, you think your ego is going to say, you don't need to do that. Because if you surrender your will, you're not going to do what you want. 
Just give up a lot of the freewheeling sex, the freewheeling money, the freewheeling drinking, the freewheeling partying. You're going to live a boring, dull life. You, you don't want to do that. You have to become a missionary or a monk or god-awful. You might even become a pastor. That would be terrible. You don't want that to happen. So no, you can't be surrendering your will. But here's what I want you to tell you. The more you surrender your will, the more power you get. Because the less dependent you become upon others, the more dependent you become upon God, you get power. See, I'm not dependent upon what you think about me to make me feel good about myself. When you surrender your will, you know, it doesn't make any difference how good you look for people to approve of you and think you have value and worth. When you give up so much of that stuff, you become dependent upon God, you actually have more independence because you're not trying to please everybody around you. You're doing the right thing. There's power when you surrender. Well, pastor, how often do I have to do that? I thought I did that a long time ago. I surrendered when I first gave my life to you. I joined the church. I surrendered. Over in Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about this little cross thing a separate time. He says, if you want to deny, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and fall daily. It's an everyday thing. In your notes, I will ask you to put this down. Surrender is a daily life practice. It's an everyday thing. Why is that? Because I surrender my will and I take it back. I surrender my will and I take it back. I surrender my way and I take it back. We all do. It's an over and over. Sometimes it's every hour. Sometimes it's every minute. Sometimes it's every second. I surrender my will to you. I surrender to you. Every day I wake up. God, I give it all up to you. I give you my money. I give you this day. I give you my anger. I give you my frustration. I give you my worries. I give you my time. I give you my sobriety. I give it all to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. I surrender. And about the time you think you've done it all, in my case, my wife comes up to me. She says, hey, uh, honey, uh, uh, are you ever going to get that garage clean that we talked about? You said you were going to do. You said you were going to do it. And I said, hey, listen, babe. I said I'm surrendering everything to Jesus, not to you. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought that. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing here? See, isn't it interesting? You think you've surrendered your time until somebody wants some of it. You think you surrendered your money until somebody else needs it. You think you surrendered your circumstances until your circumstances don't suit you. You think you surrendered your will until somebody else crosses it and pushes up against you and you bow up and it's not just on Sundays. Every day, I begin my day. Sometimes I do it again at noon. I do it again at 5 before I walk in the door. I do it again before I start the homework. I do it again before I deal with the kids. Not my will, your will, your will. And there's something that's unleashed when you do that. Did you know that your will, there's nothing more exhausting than trying to enforce your will? You ever try to enforce your will upon the kids, and you, after you're done, you're just exhausted? 
Because you're trying to get them to conform to exactly the way you think. What about your husbands or your spouses? Any of you know what I'm talking about? You're just working work to try to get that spouse to try to conform the way you think. And you're just trying to inflict your will upon them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just exhausted after you go for a job interview. And you're, you're there for the job interview. I mean, you get all ready. and You're all geared up. And you're doing your very best. You're willing to do your very best. And you walk out and you go, huh, I'm exhausted. Because imposing your will depletes you. There's only one thing you can do with your life, one thing you can do with your will, it will never get tired. And that's to surrender it. Because every time you surrender it, it's like you get in that river of life where God just takes you to a new place and you just flows and everything. Because in your notes, I would say number five, my will has been made to surrender to God. God made your will, so you would voluntarily, on your own, surrender it to him. It's the only thing you can do and never get tired. In fact, the more you do it, the more it fills you up. The more do you do it, the more it energizes you. The more you do it, the more free you feel. The more power you feel. Because God made your will be surrendered to him. In the big book of AA, there was this doctor who knew all the things to do, but he couldn't whoop it. And he would say, you know what, if you had my job, you'd drink too. If you had my wife, he wrote, you'd drink. If you had my kids, you'd drink too. He said, I went to four different psychiatrists. They couldn't get me sober. He said, I sent the kids to psychiatrists, and I couldn't get sober. I even got the dog a psychiatric diagnosis. My wife came home and said, well, the dog just needs you to love it more. And I told her, listen, you tell that Beverly Hills Dr. Cat wannabe, I just want to know why when that dog gets in my lap, he pees all over my pants. That's all I want to know. Why? And then he writes, I started going to AA, and the dog stopped peeing on my pants. And so did I. And then he goes on to write, I have learned that acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Acceptance that I can't change me. Acceptance that I can't change the people around me. Do you understand the reason you get so disturbed, the way you get so wound up and so upset and so incensed? It's because there are people around you who disturb you. You've not accepted their will. You've not accepted that situation. And you get all and you try to control, and the only answer is for you to surrender your will. One of two things will happen. They will surrender too, or they will leave. And either one's okay. Because when you're in the river, the spiritual reality of God, surrendering your will and the goodness of God, is going to take you to the place of healing and hope in your life. But you got to begin the surrender.
It's up to you. Now, sometimes people who are not sure if they believe in God, they wrestle with the philosophy. And Socrates, they compare Socrates and Jesus. Socrates uh, was a martyr. Jesus was too. Socrates had to take the hemlock. He had to die. He going to kind of self-destruct himself. And while he did that, he was calm. He was stoic. He was good to the people around him. His friends, he encouraged them even as he lay dying. But over here, you talk about Jesus. They say he was in agony. He, he, he was kind of sweat drops of blood. Why should I follow Jesus? Why shouldn't I just follow philosophy of Socrates? And here's what I would share with you. Over in the Gospel of Luke, as before we go to the table, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying, and he knows that death is around the corner. And it says there that he, he fell down, and he's just sweating drops of blood, and he's praying, praying, praying. He is in agony, not calm and stoic and peaceful at all. And he's thinking about what's to come. Now, think about this. The Son, Jesus, throughout eternity, all he wanted to do was the will of the Father. And Jesus on earth, that's why his opening prayer was, Lord's Prayer, not my will, your will be done. He told his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I mean, it's like when I do his will, it feeds me. But right here, right here, he's going, you know what, I really don't know if I want to do that. He felt the weight of all the sin, all the hell, all the death, all the shame of humanity, past, present, and future. He said, you know what? I'm not sure if I really want to do that. And in that moment, Jesus relates to every single person in this room who can hear my voice because that is the fracture of the human soul. You know what you need to do. You know what is right. You know what is good. But you're not sure if you really want to do it. Or you can do it. And Jesus says, Verse 42, Father, if you're willing, I'm not sure I want to do this, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Why do you think he was able to hang on the cross? And look at everyone and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because they don't know that their unsurrendered will is creating hell in their lives. Then the scripture says, I love this next little line. It's kind of a hidden one. And then an angel, an angel was sent to him, appeared to him from heaven, and strengthened him. Here's what I want you to know. I believe that God sends angels. And some of you right here, right now in this room where you can hear my voice, if this morning you surrender, whatever it is, I believe God will send an angel to strengthen you, to give you the power to take one step into that river and let God take you and heal you. But you've got to take the first step. 
I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now, just right where you're seated. I'm not going to have you come up here. I'm not going to have you kind of stand up or anything. I just want to ask you to stand there for a second, kind of sit there for a second, and I want you to get in touch of areas in your life that you just got you so, and maybe you just need to surrender. Maybe you're, for the very first time you want to surrender and give yourself to God. It's kind of like getting married, you know. It really is. A wedding is not about the flowers. It's not about all the music. A wedding is not about all the food and everything. Really, the core of the wedding, you know what it is? It's when one person says, I, I, I give up. No other men forsaking all others, I fully give myself to you. And the man says, you know, I give up. I give up all the dating. I give up all the looking around. I give up and I fully give of myself to you. I give you all. I surrender. Uncle, you got me. Nobody else but you, babe. And what you're saying right now, if you're someone who's surrendering to Jesus, you're saying, forsaking all of the powers, all of the desires, all of the ones that I have, no, really, God, I surrender all of that because all I really know I need is you. So I surrender. You need to do that for the very first time. You can just right there where you are. I need you, God, as my Lord. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my healer. I need you. I take you as my hope. Or maybe you're someone who struggles with anger, depression. You have an addiction of some kind. You have a habit. I mean, it's the habit that's eating your soul. You're a, you're a foodaholic. You're a social mediaholic. You're a workaholic. You're an imageaholic, always trying to make yourself look good all the time in front of everybody. Maybe you're a parentaholic, trying to control every little move of your kids. going to surrender that right now. Your will be done, Lord. Your will. God, we thank you for this table, for this bread and for this juice, which reminds us man named Jesus who laid it all down, who fully emptied himself and was so filled with your power, God, and we need a transfusion of that power into our own lives. So God, I pray as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, it will kind of remind us of who you are. And for those who have surrendered, God, they would just taste and see how good you are in a fresh way. And right now, with every, every head bowed, eyes closed, if you're, if you're someone who made some sort of decision, you just need to kind of acknowledge it before God and we'll need someone to see it, regardless of what it is. I don't need to know what it is. Would you just kind of just look up at me and kind of raise your hand from right where you are? And I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of scan the room just so you know you're not, you're not alone, that you are. Yeah, okay. 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, back there in the corner, I see you. You're not alone. Your church is with you. We love you. The body of Christ cares for you. Yeah. So, yes, Lord, we set aside this bread and this juice for holy and sacred use that when you eat it and drink it, may abide in your favor. And we pray this in the name of the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Behold the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Behold the cup, the cup of salvation spilled out upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. Thanks be to God. Can we stand and sing, please? ourselves in our worship and sing of his mercy and sing of his grace. Your mercy. 
on, all in one voice. If you made a decision this morning, you need to act upon it. Please stop by the Welcome Center. Uh, if you need prayer, stop by the Welcome Center. Fill out a prayer. If they want to pray with you, if you've got something you're trying to overcome, we want to help you. We believe in the power of prayer. Uh, if maybe you want to get baptized, just let them know, hey, we'll be baptized. I think I'm ready to make that take that next step. Uh, and if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. If you're in the house, I promise you all I have is allergies. Ragweed is killing me. Anybody else, the ragweed is killing me. Uh, so I'd love to meet you and say hello to you. But let's close out with our purpose statement. The purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And how shall we fulfill this purpose? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. By providing Christian relationships in the family of God. By providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth. So let's go grow together. See you next week. Bye.